I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, the saga concludes. I've got a review of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. If you can't get into Star Wars, I have a couple of recommendations, including Clint Eastwood's latest movie. And season four of one of my favorite TV shows of the last few years is back on a new platform. I'll tell you if Amazon has improved The Expanse. Time for the journey to come to an end with Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Long have I waited. And now, you're coming together. Is your undoing. It is a journey that began a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away back in 1977 with what was simply called Star Wars. That was episode four, A New Hope, then two more movies, then the first three episodes, which are largely frowned upon, then in 2015, The Force Awakens, 2017, The Last Jedi, and now it's time for The Rise of Skywalker. Emperor Palpatine has re-emerged, and he's got a ton of Star Destroyers, and something's going on with C-3PO. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Sounds ominous. It just all looks so exciting watching the trailers, and I love what they do with the theme in this trailer, so it's gotta be good, right? The answer is yes and no. First off, when the Rotten Tomato Meter was revealed this week and the score came in under 60%, I was shocked. The Force Awakens has a 93% rating. The Last Jedi, in spite of the fact that a lot of people didn't like it, was at 91%. So when I saw 58%, I thought, really? Are the critics just being too harsh due to overwhelming expectations. I mean, this is the movie that ends the Skywalker saga. It's got to be huge, right? So I went in with no expectations and still 
I was sad to walk out and say it was good, not great. Now, I suppose I could have been soured a little bit by the 28 minutes of commercials and previews. Are you kidding me? Showtime was 7.25 p.m., and it didn't start until 7.53. That is just ridiculous. Anyway, and the movie's two and a half hours long, so it was a three-hour experience. But once the movie gets going, it never drags. This movie rockets along at a blistering pace. I would almost say too blistering. Because the action is nearly relentless, so it never really slows down. And as a result, it felt kind of rushed, like they were just bouncing from one plot point to the next. And because it never really slows down, it lacks the heart that Star Wars movies are known for. When The Force Awakens debuted in 2015, I loved it. Everyone loved it, because it had so much heart. Yeah, it was a retread of A New Hope, but so what? We got to meet all these great new characters, including Rey, who is a tremendous character, portrayed wonderfully by Daisy Ridley. It was just so much fun. The Last Jedi took a lot of the wind out of those sails by making Luke Skywalker a whiny baby, along with some idiotic subplots that just took too long, and in some cases defied basic common sense. Like, why not just explain your plan? Just explain the plan to your colleagues, your friends, your allies. Come on, Laura Dern. Still, good movie. The Last Jedi, but highly confusing at times with the storytelling choices that they made. So the Rise of Skywalker was going to reset that, right? Reset the course, get the trilogy back on track, and stick the landing. Didn't quite do it, though. It almost felt just kind of by the numbers. And by the time it wrapped up, again, it felt somewhat retready. I know that's not a word, but let's go with it. Retready. And I just wasn't overwhelmed with joy. I, I was almost just kind of relieved it was over. Now, That's not to say I hated this movie. Far from it. I still had a great time. This movie has mind-blowing visuals that will have you on the edge of your seat, and the stuff with the Emperor is genuinely haunting. There's also some neat Jedi stuff we've not seen before, as in some of the stuff that Rey and Kylo Ren can do, so that's nice to see how they've evolved. There's some good comedy courtesy of C-3PO, as always, and it's still fun. I will probably go see it again, because it's Star Wars, but I just can't help but be a little disappointed. Again, good, not great. Three and a half couch cushions out of five for The Rise of Skywalker. Up next, Jeff has a review of another movie that stars Adam Driver. He's Kylo Ren in Star Wars. And in this next one, it's a movie that's getting all kinds of awards buzz. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Going to talk about another movie now. If you couldn't get into Star Wars, you don't want to go out. Maybe you want to stay home. On Netflix, there's a movie called Marriage Story. Most people in my business, we just transactions to them. I like to think of you as people. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> you remind me of myself on my second marriage. Baby, I'm amazed the way you love me all the time. Part of what we're going to do together is tell me your story. Did you dye your hair again? No, this is me. You don't like it? Is it shorter? I prefer it longer, but... Marriage Story stars Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, Laura Dern, Alan Alda, and Ray Liotta, written and directed by Noah Baumbach, and like I said, it's on Netflix. It's one of the big movies in the awards hunt this year. It's racked up multiple nominations at a lot of guilds and associations and critics groups and whatnot. 
fully expected to be a contender at the Oscars as well, and it's easy to see why. It's the story of a married couple, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, at the end of their marriage, and it follows them through their divorce, and it's a real eye-opener for those who have been lucky enough not to have had to go through something like that, and probably strikes a chord or a raw nerve for those who have. Charlie and Nicole live in New York with their young son. He's about six or seven. Charlie's a playwright and a director. Nicole is an actress. She's in his play, but is headed to Los Angeles to star in a TV pilot. She's not sure what the future will bring career-wise after that. It'll depend if the pilot gets picked up and turned into a show. Her mom and sister also live in L.A., so she has a nice big warm house to live in with the kid while she's there. Meantime, Charlie's in New York. His play about to debut on Broadway, so he's excited about that. And then the reality of the divorce starts setting in. At first, they say no lawyers, but then Nicole's sister convinces her she should probably see one, which sets off this lawyer battle, which is costly. And then once the lawyers are involved, everything takes on a whole new meaning. How can they split custody if they live on opposite coasts? Even though Charlie's convinced Nicole's West Coast adventure is only temporary, the lawyers say the courts will think otherwise. So it gets ugly, it gets painful. And none of it's because anyone's really angry or conniving or trying to be mean. It just naturally occurs, and that's what sort of makes it all the more brutal. No one can win at this except the lawyers. And even though they can have their human moments, you sort of quickly learn how little they care. Charlie and Nicole's lives and futures are riding on all this, but to the lawyers, it's just another case, and it's not going to change their lives at all. Laura Dern plays Nicole's lawyer. She's very good in this. And Ray Liotta is a high-priced lawyer, while Alan Alda is a lower-priced lawyer, and Charlie sort of has to decide who to go with. The movie is mostly talking, um, like one of Charlie's plays, I guess, but it's still very solidly cinematic, I thought. It very much reminds me of a Woody Allen movie. Those are mostly talking, except this one would have fewer jokes than a Woody Allen movie. It's one of his more serious movies, maybe. The story flows naturally and tragically, and I can see Noah Baumbach winning a screenwriting award for this. It's very well paced as well. It's over two hours, but it just flies by. The performances are amazing from top to bottom. Even the kid's good. Obviously, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson get the meatiest roles, and they deliver big time. They're both nominated for a lot of awards. Driver considered probably the biggest obstacle in Joaquin Phoenix's way to an Oscar. You expect good things from them, and definitely from Laura Dern and Alan Alda, but Ray Liotta is really good in this, too. Uh, Surprisingly so, I thought. You expect him to be good as a slick lawyer, but I was still caught off guard. I think Maybe I have typecast him as the guy he played in Goodfellas, Henry Hill, because I've seen that so many times and haven't really seen him in a whole lot else. Now, it is a bummer of a movie, and it sort of piles on as it goes along. It can get downright morose at times after a while. It's good, but I I really think I'd have to be in the right mood to really want to watch it. So if you ever think you might be in the mood for a pretty heavy drama, it is on Netflix. Go for it. I'll give uh, Marriage Story three and a half couch cushions out of five. That's going to be a hard pass for me, but (laughs) it, it is, I think, worth pointing out that Netflix, all of a sudden now, when it releases movies, they're worth paying attention to because yeah. I've been burned by too many Netflix movies, Netflix originals that looked good, you know, solid cast, but they ended up being kind of, yeah, maybe even good, not great. Like Bird Box, I, I still think was so overrated. It was fun, but that was definitely a hype machine kind of thing. And uh, there was another movie starring the guy from Westworld and one of the guys from Big Little Lies. I can't remember. The Je- what's it? Jeffrey something from Westworld? Oh. Uh, Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Uh, hang on. I'm just looking it up now. Uh, it came out a couple of years ago. Uh, Hold the Dark. Uh, yeah, it stars uh, him and Alexander Skarsgård. Is he the tall Skarsgård? 
the, 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 the handsome one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that movie looked great, and it turned out to be just okay. <laughs> so, But now with, you know, I mean, the marriage story came out. Uh, the Two Popes is a... Coming is a, out. That's a Netflix one, right? Yeah, that's or that might be out now, too. And then they had The Irishman, of yeah. course. So, And I never did. I still got to see, what was last year's? What, Roma? Roma. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's, yeah, but still, that's four movies, and they probably made... 100 movies this year or something I, like that, right? I guess. But it's. I, my point is I, I shouldn't be so dismissive of everything that comes out on Netflix. Yeah, true. Just because I've had some bad experiences. <laughs> uh, also worth pointing out, a great time of the year for Adam Driver because he's got Marriage Story, which he's getting awards nominate or awards buzz. nominations and buzz and what have you. He also has another movie out that he's getting tons of acclaim for called The Report, which is now out on Amazon, just came out last month. And of course, as uh, we mentioned a few moments ago, Star Wars, Kylo Ren. Everything's coming up, driver. All right, let's have a look at what is coming to home video. Meet a family that's always misunderstood. It makes a point. On October 11th, Flood. would you mind dusting? If you think your family is weird. Fire in the hole! You sunk my battleship! Yes! Think again. Yeah, my creature! Totally awesome. The Adams Family. Rated PG in theaters October 11th. And on Digital HD this Tuesday, December 24th, if you're looking for a family film to watch over Christmas, I went and saw it with my girlfriend and her children and our general consensus. Uh, the group of us was three and a half couch cushions out of five. So Were you surprised that you enjoyed it? I was surprised that I enjoyed it. There's some very grown-up jokes in there. Really? Yes. I like it when they... Well, that's the good thing about these animated movies. Most of them have tons of stuff in there that kids will never get. Absolutely. So it's good. you got to keep the parents entertained. Yep. Uh, unless it's the Oogie Loves. Yeah, though, that's... That, if we were doing a worst of the decade list, that might be up there, because... <laughs> did you see the Oogie I, Loves? I didn't, but nobody did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. We'll have to dig that audio out one day. What else is coming out? Zombieland Double Tapples, also on a Digital HD on Tuesday, and on Blu-ray DVD, Judy, that stars Renee Zellweger, who's uh, also nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Okay. Or so awards. Sorry, not Oscars. This weekend, there are three movies out. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and surprisingly, a couple of other options. Bombshell, that's the one with Charlize Theron uh, playing Megan Kelly yep. with the Fox News uh, sexism scandal. But then, what's the third one that's getting not great reviews? Cats. Tonight, I choose the cat that deserves another life. So they can be who they've always dreamed of being. Quite obviously, the best. <laughs> it's a magical night. <laughs> That's what I say to you. <laughs> Let's try again, shall we? Cats. Getting terrible reviews. It's at 18% as of this recording on Rotten Tomatoes, and I dug up some of the juiciest nuggets I could find off Rotten Tomatoes oh from a bunch of publications. Something called Prospect Magazine says, At times I snuck a glimpse down my row of seats, which presented a gallery of faces frozen in shock and horror. <laughs> okay. The Detroit News says, Cats is a real dog. Woof. Uh, Nate Adams says, Congratulations to dogs. The Spool says, By the time I left the theater, I wasn't even sure what a real cat looked like anymore. Okay. The... Uh, 
Uh, Collider says, the weak source material paired with Tom Hooper's incompetent direction is truly a wonder to behold. Ouch. What I assume is a horror movie website called Nightmarish Conjuring says, Cats is not a version I'd recommend being anyone's first experience in witnessing the renowned musical, and that's saying something. The playlist says, once Tom Hooper's 110 minutes of Cats are over, theater is dead, one lucky cat is dead, and we unchosen ones are left tragically to continue living. Jeez, so dramatic. <laughs> well, the Boston Globe simply says, oh God, my eyes. Vox says, it's literally incredible. I hope I never see it again. The Beat says, cats is the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. Okay. Smash Cut Review says, cats out of the bag. Let's put them back in. And my favorite slash film says, there is a thin line between idiocy and genius, and cats pukes a hairball on it and rubs its ass all over it. Good Lord. Okay. <laughs> but it is worth pointing out that it's 18%, which means 18% of the reviews are good. Ish. Although, yeah, because like, for example, here's one from Joe Blow's Movie Emporium saying, I'm not saying this is a meowster piece, but I do think some of the critics are lying to themselves. In no way is this a good movie, but it's an utterly fascinating acid trip of a film. So right there, even the positive review says, it's not a good movie, yeah. but it's fun to watch. And it might be so bad, it is good, kind of that kind of fun to watch, which I actually can get on board with. I don't know that I'll go out to theaters to see this, but I think I'll be watching at least a part of it at some point in the future. Up next, Jeff's got a review of Clint Eastwood's latest, and I'll tell you if Amazon has improved upon one of my favorite shows. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. And if you are going to the theaters over the holidays and you can't get in to see Star Wars, or maybe you might not be interested in Star Wars, I got a movie recommendation for you, something a little different. It's Clint Eastwood's latest. It's called Richard Jewell. All right, Richard. This might be the only way to clear your name. Say there's a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. My son is not the bomber. He saved people's lives. I do want to help you out. There is a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. The FBI is looking at Richard Jewell. These kids get railroaded. I think your client is guilty as hell. You ready to start fighting back? Richard Jewell, a Clint Eastwood film. Rated R. Starring Paul Walter Hauser, Sam Rockwell, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, and Kathy Bates, and obviously directed by Clint Eastwood, Richard Jewell, based on the true story of a security guard named Richard Jewell at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta, who found a bomb in a park moments before it went off, saving dozens of lives in the process. Two people did die, but Jewell and the other police and security that he notified were able to clear the scene of many, many more right before the explosion. Now, afterwards, he was hailed as a hero, and then word got out that he was a suspect. The movie surmising that someone in the FBI leaked it to an Atlanta newspaper that they were investigating Jewel. Of course, they would definitely look at Jewel initially since he did find the bomb, but it grows into a full-fledged thing for a couple of reasons. One, there's this intense media scrutiny, which is also to be expected after a bombing at the Olympics. And two, Richard Jewel fits the profile of a guy who might do something like that. He was one of these guys who desperately wanted to be a cop who goes overboard on any little bit of law enforcement power he can get. For example, he was a campus security guard and was overzealous about it. He was 33 years old, living with his mom. He was a gun nut. All sorts of things that we think about when we think about the guys that would maybe do something like this. Now, the movie goes on to show how the FBI and the press can really sort of destroy someone's life. 
not on purpose, but seemingly without any real hard evidence in an investigation. Paul Walter Hauser plays Jewel. Sam Rockwell is his lawyer. Kathy Bates is his mom. And John Hamm is the FBI guy. And Olivia Wilde is the journalist. And that's where the movie comes with some controversy over its portrayal of that specific journalist played by Olivia Wilde. The family of the journalist from real life, not impressed with the movie. And uh, this actual journalist died some years ago. But I could see why the family's not impressed because she comes across as like a cartoonish villain. I wouldn't have been surprised if she had a mustache and spent the movie twirling it. They try to humanize her late in the game, but the damage is done. Eastwood stands by the portrayal, but I'm saying that regardless of what the truth is with her character, she still just sticks out like a sore thumb in this movie. It's distracting, it's cringy, and I guess I lay the blame on Clint because we all know Olivia Wilde's a good actress. I get that there are some bad journalists out there, but this portrayal just is not believable, and I'm not saying that because I think I have to defend the media regardless of circumstance, but rather as having worked in a newsroom for more than 20 years and having seen all sorts of different journalists come and go, I just wasn't buying most of what this lady is selling. Now, having said that, let me say this. The rest of the movie is pretty perfect. The story is very interesting. I knew about the bombing. I did not know about the circumstances, and so I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. Clint Eastwood is such a talented filmmaker. This is one of his better movies of the past few years, for sure. He's had some rough ones. This one feels very assured from the beginning, and I wasn't worried at all, except maybe when the lady from the newspaper was on screen. The movie really belongs, though, to Paul Walter Hauser. He's had a lot of bit parts in recent years. If you've seen I, Tonya or Black Klansman, for example, you've seen him, but he's never had a character a movie before, and he does so with ease. He's fully immersed in Jewel. There's never a moment where you don't believe he's him, and he's an interesting character. He's polite and gentle. He's put upon. He's sort of a sad sack guy you can't help but feel a little sorry for, but he doesn't want your pity either. It's a stacked year awards-wise. He has not been nominated for a Golden Globe or a SAG Award, and that's a little bit irritating because he gives a very special performance, I think, and I'd love to see him get some recognition, but again, it's a pretty tough year awards wise which is good for us the audience because there's a lot of good performances out there but it's bad for some of these actors who are going to really literally actually get snubbed of something they deserve kathy bates i think will get some recognition she crushes it as she so often does you really feel bad for her as the mom it breaks her heart to see her son going through all this and it breaks our heart to see her going through that sam rockwell is having a hell of a decade. If he hadn't already had so much praise in the last few years, he'd probably be turning more heads in this movie, too. They all put on a clinic. There's a lot of scenes featuring the three of them together, and it's just electric. The movie is a bit of a tearjerker, and for me, it came at a weird time. Now, I watched Marriage Story last Sunday, Brett, and then on Monday, I watched We Are Marshall, which is the saddest sports movie of all time, based on the true story of a college football team that where they all died in a plane crash and the school tries to pick itself up after that. And then on Tuesday, I watched the Richard Jewell movie, so I spent a lot of this past week crying as I've decided I'm only watching comedies and action movies through the holidays now. No more dramas in 2019. Um, But I do highly recommend heading out over your Christmas break to see Richard Jewell in theater. You know, if you're not into Star Wars or if it's sold out, like I said, it's a great movie. Four couch cushions out of five for Richard Jewell. Good Lord, man. That is an intense emotional... uh, thing that you put yourself through those three days i wasn't on purpose i was sitting in richard jewel's like 
wow, how, how, is, how is this app come to pass like this? I should be watching Elf and stuff in the Christmas story instead. So, hey, last week we did our uh, favorite movies of the decade. What was your favorite movie of the decade again? Moonlight. Moonlight was yours, and mine was diametrically opposite in terms of its uh, uh, tone. I went with Marvel's The Avengers. Both great? Yeah, great films. Yeah. Uh, but we didn't. We only had room for 10 each. Yeah. Could have gone a lot longer. So I just wanted to quickly mention some of the honorable mentions. What do you got on your list? Uh, I got Mad Max Fury Road, which is actually on your list. It, I, it was on my list. It was off my list. It was on my list. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises, the last of the Christian Bale Batman movies, actually came out this decade. Wanderlust is a comedy starring um, Jennifer Aniston and Paul Rudd, which is very underrated. I highly recommend that one. The Nice Guys is a great movie. Edge of Tomorrow was on your list. This is the end with uh, Seth Rogen and Friends, where... The world ends and they're trapped in a house together. Yep. Get Out, True Grit, The Wolf of Wall Street, Django Unchained, Skyfall, The Bond Movie, Bridesmaids, one of the funniest movies of the decade, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, my favorite entry out of the MCU, Horrible Bosses, Moneyball, and one that gets laughed at a lot, I think because of the title, but it's a really great movie. Matt Damon stars in We Bought a Zoo. I love that movie. Every really? time it's on, it just, uh, just I watch it till the end. I love it. So that's that's a solid list. Uh, yeah. My list, I, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if it was that I didn't put enough thought into this, but I just kind of looked at my shelf of, <laughs> yeah. of Blu-rays, Same here. and I thought, oh, okay, like Thor Ragnarok. I had three Marvel movies in my top ten. There was the Avengers, Avengers: Infinity War, and uh, Captain America: Civil War. Right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I could have included more. Thor Ragnarok was one of them. I actually really like that first Thor movie as well. You had John Wick Chapter 2. Yeah, I like the list. fight with Common in there. But uh, I would have, uh, of the three John Wick movies, I would have gone with that first John Wick because it was, well, that was the movie that j- it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I it remember, was shock and, and awe, right? Yeah, and it had just such tremendous action and Keanu Reeves, t- you know, when he he trains so hard. Just look up Keanu Reeves training for John Wick. It's insane. Unstoppable. Is that the train one? That's the train one with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. It's one of those movies where I every time I watch it, I just get so hooked on it and I edge of my seat entertainment. But I, the last time I watched it, I, I kind of didn't like the storytelling device where they would provide updates through the like news reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just got cheesy right. after a while, but it's still super fun. That sounds like something I should watch over the holidays. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> it's, it's just a fun movie, man. It's exciting. The Raid and The Raid 2, those are, these are like Indonesian martial arts insanity movies. Yeah. They are so crazy. And are Dread. They, sorry, back to The Raid for a sec. Are they gross? Like, is there gore in those? Um... Like worse than John Wick Gore? I don't know that it well maybe she'll watch those two. I can't remember. There there are there's certainly some blistering violence. Yeah, yeah. But I don't remember specifically gore. But yeah, there's some of the stuff will make you go yuck. Uh and then dread based on the Judge Dread. Loved that. And actually Wait. there are some similarities stark similarities between the the first raid and dread, like almost the exact same plot line. Is that really is going weird. through the building kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, cool. And then How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, I like that one, too. Um, and we got to quickly mention here, before we, we run out of time, Survivor, the, the Island of the Idols wrapped up this week. Yeah. I didn't really care about that, but I nope. am excited for next season. Yeah, it's Survivor 40, so what they're doing is bringing back 20 previous winners, and they showed in the little preview that the prize isn't a million dollars, it's... $2 million. Yeah. So um, I'm going to read some names for you. These, these guys all want Survivor. Brett, you watch these people for 13 episodes at least. Yep. 
Let's see if you remember them. Ethan from Africa, remember him? I didn't actually watch Africa. Oh. I didn't start watching until the fourth season. All right. Sandra Pearl Islands, we know. Yeah. Amba, we know. Yeah. Danny from Guatemala. Don't I, th- you might, I, don't re- I think I, you'll recognize her. Well, I, I'm sure I'll recognize all these people, but by name, no. No. That's just like saying Kim from One World. I didn't, I, even seeing her, I didn't recognize her. And there was even like recently, like Ben, who was like a cowboy from Heroes versus Healers versus Hustlers. I only have the vaguest recollection of that guy. And by my math, this guy was on like two years ago. Okay. So I don't know. But uh, remember Tony? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> he was that crazy little guy. I liked him. He's funny. Um, Boston Rob's in, Parvati's in, remember Parvati? Oh, yeah. Yule from Cook Islands. I think he's my, without watching one episode, I'm guessing Yule's going to win this thing because he, he just, he was heads and shoulders above everyone else in that Cook Island season. And he was just, he was really smart. He's really likable. So unless they just see him as a threat and get rid of him, I can see this guy going deep. Yeah. If I were any of these guys, I would get rid of Boston Rob and Sandra immediately. Yes. Especially Sandra. She is so sneaky. The fact that she was able to win twice, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they allowed her to get so far into the game, but they cut her loose quickly the third time she appeared, right? Yeah. Because by then they were like, okay, whatever she's going to do, we got to nip it in the bud. Because I think she just seems so non-threatening at yeah. first because she's she's quiet-ish, you know what I mean? She's not really a challenge threat or anything, I don't think. So, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. So it'll be, it'll be interesting season. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Up next, it's one of my favorite television shows, and it's finally back on Amazon. Details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Next week, we are going to count down our favorite TV shows of the decade. Have you started compiling your list yet? Oh, I have. It's it's, it's still a work in progress to some degree, but I, I'm pretty solid on it. Yeah, I need to actually start really thinking about that. But I know that this one is going to be on that list. It's one of my favorite shows of the last few years, and it has returned with its fourth season. It came back Friday, December 13th on a new network. It's The Expanse. There is a planet on the other side of the ring. A group of Belta refugees has claimed it as their home. A UN ship was sent to control the situation. The mission did not go as planned. I need to know what is really going on over there. I saw the news you're heading to the ring. We're going to make sure it's safe. And if it is another Eros. Evacuate the Belters and get the hell out of there. Welcome to New Terra. The Expanse is a science fiction show which debuted in late 2015 on Sci-Fi in the United States. It aired on Space in Canada, and it debuted to critical acclaim. It's based on a series of books by James S.A. Corey, of which there are now eight books, ninth one coming next year. It takes place a few hundred years into the future. Humans have colonized the Moon, Mars, the Asteroid Belt, and some of Jupiter's moons. The three main factions are the UN, or Earthers, there's the Martians, and the Belters. And they all hate each other, and they're on the brink of war constantly, all while a mysterious alien threat begins to emerge that could destroy them all. So in this latest season, they mentioned the ring in that clip. The ring is a gate that's opened up out in space, and some of the belters have gone through to colonize a habitable planet, which they've dubbed New Terra. And that's really all I can tell you about the plot, because there's so many characters, so many things have happened. I can't summarize four seasons, but uh, that's just the gist of what's going on. But the show has a solid cult following. 
But Sci-Fi canceled it after three seasons in May 2018. So there was a big Save the Expanse campaign on social media, which included Game of Thrones author George R.R. Martin. And many people describe this show as Game of Thrones in space. So eventually Amazon saved the show. Season three wrapped up in June 2018. It's been a while since it's been on. Uh, But... As I said, it's been one of my favorite shows of the last few years. It is a big, ambitious show with tremendous visual effects for a TV show, but it was clumsy at times, didn't have the best acting, the dialogue was often weak, so it felt like a small-budget show trying to be a big-budget show, but it just fell flat at times. But still, the good outweighed the bad for me. It's just so much fun. Thanks to Amazon, it now feels like a truly big-budget show. It looks like it. The core elements are the same, but it's... It's just a vastly different, improved show. The camera work is way bigger. The visual effects are better. The acting is better. The direction is better. Everything is better. It isn't just this scrappy little show from the sci-fi network. This feels like prestige TV, and I just can't recommend it enough. And I should also point out as well, kind of funny how I ended up watching season four. Because once upon a time, I signed up for Amazon Video. It was back in 2017 when season one of uh, American Gods debuted. Right. It wasn't Google Chromecast compatible, though. Just in case you're not sure how Chromecast works. It's this device you plug into your TV. You can throw video from your phone or tablet or computer to your TV. It's fun. So Amazon wasn't Chromecast compatible, so I couldn't directly cast it to my TV. But the Chromecast does give you this option where you can throw your entire phone screen to your TV. So I was still able to watch it on my TV, but the quality is way worse doing it that way. So once the season was done, I canceled my subscription. Well, fast forward to the present. I see on my Shaw PVR that they've now got Amazon hooked into their apps so I can watch Amazon Prime Video right from my PVR. Oh, nice. Don't have to go through Google or nothing. I wish Disney Plus would be like that on some things. Hopefully soon. And uh, with the Expanse back in the mix, it's. I thought, oh, it's high time for me to sign back up. But then I thought... You know, I think I actually may have re-signed up for Amazon Prime. Not for the video, just for the service, for when I buy stuff. But I clearly don't buy a lot of stuff on Amazon because I couldn't remember. So I figured, well, let's give this a shot. I punched in my email, got them to reset my password. And sure enough, I have an active Amazon Prime account. So I logged it into my PVR and away I went. Wait, does this mean you've been paying for it for the last couple of years without using it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Life after 40. Yeah. (laughs) So then they... I think, what is it, like 80 bucks for the year for Amazon? I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, they dumped the entire 10 episode on all on December 13th. When it was on TV, it was week to week, but they threw it all out. So I made it through nine episodes, and then when the, the 10th one was starting, I fell asleep on my couch and woke up at 4.30 a.m. So I still got to watch the 10th episode. <laughs> and worth pointing out, too, the Amazon quality through the PVR is amazing. Nice. Way better than Netflix. I hate Netflix's quality on Shaw, so Amazon really kills it. So you should check out, I think, The Expanse. The whole series is there to try out if you're into Amazon Prime. That's all the time we've got next week our favorite tv shows of the decade i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes and remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother